0: God, we want to thank you for the celebration that this day uh, represents. Thank you for the love of God that was poured out on the cross through Jesus Christ. Thank you that death does not have the final say, but he has risen. And he has risen to life, and he's risen to bring us life. That all who would believe in him, that all who would pursue him would have life in this world and life in the world to come. Father, I pray that as we continue throughout this day, as we meet with family, as we meet with friends, we will remember what this day truly is. Let let it, let it sink into our hearts. As we celebrate with family and friends, let us just have a little bit more spring in our step because Christ is risen. And I pray that we would take this reality of the celebration of this morning and not just keep it for this morning. But that we would continually be a people of the resurrection. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. Father, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. So this morning... I thought I would tell you a story. We're going to look into a story in the Bible. Now, now the story of this morning is Jesus, he rises from the dead. He's crucified, and he is risen. But within every story, there are other stories that kind of take place. There are other things that are going on. There's other characters that are involved. And if you just think about the Jesus story from, from when he is arrested, so when he is risen, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of people and parts and scenarios being played out. And the, and I want to look at one this morning within the, the bigger context of the story is the story of Peter. Peter, um, well, he was kind of a loud mouth. Uh, he, he gets kind of a bad rap as one who is just, you know, he's, he speaks out of turn. Jesus rebuked him once, called him, get behind me, Satan. You know, if God ever says to you, get behind me, Satan, things are probably, that's not one of your better days. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, but, but Peter is, is a key player in the Jesus story. He's one of his disciples. He's been walking with Jesus ever since the very beginning. And what I like to do is look at his story towards the end of Jesus' life. And so we are going to read Mark. Chapter 14, this is verses 27 through 31. Well, let me set this up for you. So, Jesus just had the, the Last Supper, and he does this great teaching about his body and, and being the bread, and his, his, uh, the cup being um, his blood, and it's poured out, and it's been broken for, for the forgiveness of sins. So there's all this really amazing teaching. Um, deep things, sacred things, holy things that are taking place. And at the end of the meal, they're going to head out for some prayer in this place called Gethsemane. But before that, Jesus speaks these words to his disciples. He tells them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically. That means like he was really intense about it. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So the way the story plays out after this, they they head to the garden. And Jesus, he is heavy in his heart with what is about to take place. He's just celebrated the Passover with his disciples and now he's praying in the garden. He knows that he will be betrayed. He knows that this very night he will be arrested. And he asked the boys, listen guys, can you just stay with me and pray for a little while? And so he goes off and prays and they fall asleep. He comes back, he's like, for real? You can't stay up for just a little while? And he goes back and they fall asleep again and and he's like, okay, Okay, boys, this is, it's going to start. And then Jesus is arrested. He's betrayed by a kiss from Judas. And I'm sure there must have been pandemonium. People are just kind of freaking out. Oh, my goodness, what's happening here? All of these guards with swords and, and spears, they come and they arrest Jesus. And, and the disciples, they all just kind of spread out. They're like, we're gone. Boom. And they all leave him there in his time of need. Jesus' words, you will all fall away. And so Jesus is chained and he's taken to his first trial, an illegal trial. And it would seem that some of the disciples now have following close, or, or kind of behind, kind of in the shadows. And they get to, they get to the, uh, where all the crowd is gathered. They get to where Jesus is going to be um, put on trial in front of the high priest's And here's, again, where Peter comes in. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also are with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, he said again to those standing around, "'This fellow is one of them.' Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, "'Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean.' He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, "'I don't know this man you're talking about.' Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. "'Before the rooster crows twice, "'you will disown me three times.' And he broke down, and he wept. Well, it's played out exactly like Jesus said it would play out. Peter is under duress; uh, he's a little freaked out. All the disciples are kind of freaked out, and he betrays Jesus in 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 his most time of need, where he could have used a friend. I would think Peter denies even knowing him. He, he's been with him for three years. He's done life with him for three years. He's, he's listened to his teachings. He's traveled with him. He's eaten with him. He's, he's gone from town to town and place to place. Peter has seen things that some of the other disciples have never seen. He was in, on the inner circle. I guess maybe today, in, in today's lingo, we would say that him and Jesus were BFFs. They were tight. They were close. They had a very deep and intimate relationship. And when the rubber came time to meet the road, what does Peter do? He denies even knowing him. Calls down curses. I don't know this guy. Well, as the story plays out, Jesus is tried a couple times. The crowds yell, crucify him. The crowds that just a few days before, cheered him as he came into the city. He's beaten, he's tortured, and he's condemned to death. He's humiliated in front of this crowd. He's forced to carry his cross through the streets. People yelling at him, I would think spitting at him, throwing rocks at him, Roman soldiers whipping him. He gets to the hill they strip him of his clothes, more humiliation for the son of God. He lays down on that cross and they drive nails into his hands. They drive nails into his feet and they raise that cross up and there he hangs, the son of God. For hours he would hang there in agony and anguish. And still the whole time, people insulting him, making fun at him. After some time hanging on the cross, the Son of God dies. He looks to heaven and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last breath. He's taken down from the cross and he's buried. And the disciples are freaked out. They have no idea what just happened. They cannot understand how this went from the triumphal entry into Jerusalem to the Messiah being killed on the cross as a common criminal. And I wonder if in some way, I wonder what Peter was feeling like. Was he, ref- was he feeling responsible that if he can only do something, if he only did something, if he only, if he only came to his aid instead of denying him, but it's too late. His friend is dead. His friend is buried. And the disciples are fearful in hiding. But that's not the end of the story. That's not what we celebrate this morning. See, the, the, there's more to the story. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The son of God is risen from the dead, just like he said he would do it. And he is going to meet up, with his disciples. And he's going to continue to reassure them. That it's okay. I'm alive. This had to play out just the way it has. For the good of the kingdom of God. For your good. But I, I, I wonder what Peter must have felt. Hearing that. Jesus is alive. I mean he was. He was sure he would never deny him. That he would go and die with him. If need be. And that didn't work out so well for him. And now he's alive. He's risen from the dead. And Peter's going to have to come face to face with Jesus. He's going to have to look him in the eye. He denied him to save his own skin. And Christ died a horrible, horrible death. But they will meet up again. and Let's, let's see what happens in that moment. Are you ready, guys?
1: It's always about me. That's grace, Peter.
0: God's grace. God's grace through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, taking what is supposed to be unforgivable and making it forgivable. The church is a group of people. Of the resurrection. We are God's people. We are people of grace. God's undeserved favor. And he was the one. That took initiative. To bring forgiveness. He is the one that took initiative. To to introduce to us. A harmony and a rhythm. That we can live reconciled. To him. Back to him. And all in spite of us. Because we really. we, We don't really deserve it. See, there's this horrible lie. It's a horrible lie that circulates not only within our culture but sometimes within the church that we can actually be good enough or we can try not to be too bad and work our way to a place of God forgiving us and that we could try to work our way into God's good graces. But the problem is that's not grace. Grace. That's not the gospel. If we can do this on our own, then Jesus suffered a horrific death for absolutely no reason. But it's by the grace of God that we are forgiven. See, it's never about us. It's it's always about him. That's grace. Jesus, he tells this parable. A parable is a, a story that Jesus would tell To have a a truth or meaning in it. And he would tell these stories, these parables, to explain a truth of the kingdom of God or about God. And this story Jesus tells is about a son. And this son, he wants his inheritance from his dad. He wants his share. Now, in Jesus' culture, the people listening to the story, they would very well know that that you cannot dishonor or disrespect your father more than asking for your inheritance before he dies. In fact, you could be taken to the city gates, and I kid you not, and they can throw rocks at you until you're dead. I'm sure DCF would frown upon that a little bit, but that's the way it was back in that culture. And the father says, okay. And he gives his son his portion of the inheritance. And the son leaves and goes off with all the money. And he squanders it away. Wine, women, and song. He goes through it all. And finally he, he wakes up broke. He wakes up hungry. He doesn't know what to do. And he realizes that The pigs that he is attending are eating better than he's eating. And so he decides, I'm going to go home. I'm going to beg for my dad's forgiveness. And maybe, just maybe, he'll he'll give me a a job as a servant, because even the servants eat pretty good in my dad's households. And so the son takes, he starts on his homeward journey. And as he's coming down the road, the father sees the son. And the father runs out to meet his son before he even gets to the house. He runs out to meet him and he throws his arms around him and he gives him a kiss. He says, put a ring on his finger, put, put a new jacket on him. And those are signs of a, of a distinguished, welcome guest. My son has come home. Now, also in this, this culture that Jesus speaks to, this would never happen. A father would never run out to meet his child, especially a wayward child. At the very least, that father would re- expect some groveling at his feet. But this dad runs out and meets him and hugs him. Kill the fattened calf. We're throwing a party. My son is home. And in that story, we are the son who has disrespected the father and has left and now has come home. And God is the father running out to meet us and to welcome us home. You know, for many people, it seems to be a struggle to find God and to know him and to, I mean, let alone love him as, as a father. And, and they try their best to you know, to follow the rules or behave well, and and you know, pray every once in a while, maybe go to church every once in a while. Happy Easter, right? And and so, you, you know, you're supposed to go to church on Easter, and, and all those things. And they try and try again, but they never quite seem to to live up to it. And they always kind of always kind of take a few steps forward, then a bunch of steps back. And we make mistakes, and and we do things that aren't right. And 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 what happens is when it's all about us doing something, trying to get it right, we become discouraged because we will never get it right. Right, at least not on our own. We'll never get it right, and then people get discouraged, and, and they, they just give up on God and because he becomes this distant, unachievable thing out there. As I read the Bible, as I read the Gospels, and I listen to the stories, and I, and I hear the stories that, that are portrayed, I hear Jesus talk about the Father, in one story, he says, he, he's, like a, he's like a shepherd who, when one of his sheep, one of his sheep get lost, he leaves the 99 and he goes to look for the other one. Or, or God is like a, a woman who loses a coin in the house. And that one coin, she just she she turns the, lights the lamp and she looks and looks and looks until she finds that coin. That is who God is. And that's how valuable we are to him. See, the question isn't, how am I going to find God? A better question to ask is, how will I allow myself to be found by him? The question isn't, how am I ever going to get to know this God? A better question to ask is, how will I allow myself to be known by him? The question isn't, how am I supposed to love him? A better question is, how can I allow him to love me? And the answer to all of those questions is by receiving the grace of God through Jesus Christ in his cross and in his resurrection. Jesus takes what's unforgivable and makes it forgivable. I can't help but to think, I can't help but to believe that, that our life's journey would be so radically different, so different if we understood the death and the resurrection of Jesus as God's grace poured out upon his people. I can't imagine, I, 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 if we really got a hold of that, I believe truly that we would live different lives, that there's this invitation given to us for healing and for wholeness and for freedom. It is the grace of God. And we would uh, would come to the understanding that God is not hiding from us. God is not making himself hard to find, but in fact, he's looking for us. And he's waiting and he's watching while we are hiding from him. Can you accept the fact that you are worth looking for? Can you accept the fact that Jesus went to the cross because you are worth dying for? Can you accept the fact that Jesus rising from the dead was God's exclamation point on his invitation to come home? The exclamation point after the word grace. Can you accept the fact that no matter how big you messed up, how bad it was, how bad it is, that Jesus can take what's unforgivable and forgive it? See, it's always about God because it's always about grace. No one, no one is perfect. No one even gets close to Perfect. All, the scriptures tell us all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Peter wasn't perfect, and Peter hung out with Jesus. He was with him. But because we all make mistakes, and some, some of us had made some really big ones, because we have all made mistakes, we struggle with, with self-rejection, we struggle with self-contempt and self-condemnation and self-loathing. It's a huge battle that, that just rages on within us. Why is it so much easier for us to find reasons to put ourselves down? Why is it so easy to, to uh, see ourselves as unforgivable in God's eyes instead of seeing ourselves as God sees us? That you are loved and you are worth him sending his son to the cross to die for your forgiveness. He has paved the road for all the prodigals to come home. That is grace. That is grace. It, it's not doing good enough so you can be worthy of God. Everything in the scripture teaches against that. Being a righteous person, being a good person, is not trying to get on God's good side. It, it, it's, it's about coming to the realization that that. It's, 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 it's him that's been on our side the whole time. For God so loved the world, he's been on our side. And if we can, if we can come to the end of ourselves, if we can come to the end of our pride and our arrogance, if we, can, if we can come to the realization that in our lives, the best that we can really do is mess stuff up, it's in that moment that we begin to see God's grace and experience his grace. It's in that moment we look to the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's in that moment we begin to begin to experience a God who's not against us, but a God who is for us. There's always a story within a story. And this morning, we're going to hear two more stories. This pool isn't to take a dip after church, so stay out of it. There's a reason why this is set up. And we are going to baptize two people this morning. And you're going to hear their story of God's grace and God's redemption in their lives. You're going to hear what God is doing in their life. The forgiveness, maybe. I haven't heard their story. I'm excited to hear it. But but I'm sure forgiveness plays a part and healing plays a part. But we know that God's grace plays a huge part. And it's the risen Lord that they've accepted. Baptism. Baptism is a a symbolic thing that we do in the church. It's, It's a symbol of an inward reality. It's a symbol that says, I want to be counted in front of the community for the sake of Christ." Brian and Taryn will be baptized this morning, husband and wife. They're still newlyweds. They haven't even been married, what, six months yet-ish. And they've chosen this day to profess their faith in Christ. And so we're going to experience that with them. We're going to experience the joy in the redemption of Christ, in the grace of the cross, and in the power of the resurrection. So Brian, Taryn, why don't you come on up?